The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Jesus, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Without it, Lord, none of us could stand here. Without it, Lord, none of us could, um, could uh, approach your throne. And yet now, because of your suffering, because of your death, and because of your resurrection, uh, we can be forgiven and we can be reconciled to you. We can not only approach your throne of grace, but we can approach it with confidence, knowing that we will find uh, grace and mercy um, in our time of need. So thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Um, And Lord, as we open your word this morning, we need your understanding. So help us, speak to us, um, give us a a better understanding of who you are uh, today because of your word. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, if you uh, have a Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead and find Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have one, there might be one under your chair, or you can follow along on your smartphone, tablet, whatever you want, all right? Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be today uh, and for a a few weeks. So, uh, last week was Easter, in case you've already forgotten, but uh, last week, you know, a lot of people say that Easter is like Christian Super Bowl, which it it kind of is. I would say the Super Bowl is like our Super Bowl, because like... uh, Churches will literally not have church that night so that people can watch the Super Bowl. But there is, a, there is a big excitement that comes with Easter for Christians. And I think that's true. I, I, I don't think it's a perfect analogy uh, for, for how we feel about Easter, but it's, it's pretty good. I, it's, it's an idea of, of excitement. It's a big deal. But I think Easter for us, maybe more practically, is like New Year's, right? Because New Year's is a fresh start, isn't it? New Year's is, uh, is when you, you make resolutions, you know, you, you get to start over. It's like December never happened, here we go, January, let's do it. And so it's about self-improvement, and that what New Year's is about? So you make these resolutions of weight loss, or, you know, I'm going to quit smoking, or I'm going to start working out, or I'm never going to be late to work again, or my, my New Year's resolution this past year was I'm not going to have a kid this year, and so far that's, uh, that's going well for me. But New Year's resolutions, they're about behavior modification. They're about making, like doing something differently, and, and maybe you'll be different, right? I'm going I'm I'm to live differently. I'm going to make a, a decision that I wouldn't normally make, and maybe it'll change me. And that's, that's what New Year's resolutions are about. And so when, when Easter hits, it's like, for Christians, sometimes it's like a, a spiritual fresh start. Anybody feel that? It's like it's, it's, we, we get reminded in, of, of Jesus' love for us. We get refreshed and we get excited. And, and so you know what? It's, it's spiritual improvement time. Forget self-improvement time now. It's spiritual improvement time, which that's not a bad way of thinking because it's true that God's made us new. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says that, that we are a new creation. The old is gone. We are new. So that's, a, that's an okay way of thinking. And it's true that every day he's making us new. First Thessalonians says that God sanctifies us, which we use that word sanctify, or, or we, we, we call a process of sanctification, a real fancy way of saying that, that God's making us holy or making us more like himself. And we're in that process. Colossians 3.10, I think, describes that process really well. And you can take a look with me. It says, 
Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. And so God's making us new. Not only are we new, but God is making us new in this process. But when we come to Easter and, and we think about having a, a spiritual fresh start or we're thinking about spiritual improvement, sometimes we bring with it that New Year's resolution mindset, right? So when we look at sanctification or being made holy and that whole process, we... we we bring that mindset of, of New Year's resolution, which is all about behavior modification. And, and, and so we, we, we apply that to being spiritual, and, and we do that, right? Like, you come to church more. I'm going to come to church more. That's it. It's a fresh start. I'm going to come to church more. Which, by the way, if you made that resolution last week, good job. Two for two, all right? You're here, okay? So good. All right, good job. But you come to church more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm stop going. I'm going to stop doing things I know I shouldn't do, etc. But we say I'm going to make these decisions. I'm going to do these things, and then I'm I'll change. I'll be different. But Paul addresses this in Colossians two. This type of spirituality. This type of religion. And if you're there in Colossians three, go back. All right, two comes before three. Right? Math is hard for me, but I think that's right. Look in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul is describing what we just talked about. Paul is describing behavior behavior modification that people would practice to somehow subdue the sinful nature and to become more like God. And so it was really similar to what we do. What does it say there? They had teachings and precepts of abstention from things. So like don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. And we have those. You know, I'm going to be more spiritual, so I'm, uh, uh, you know, don't, don't drink and you'll be more spiritual, or don't smoke, or don't cuss, or don't see radar movies unless they're about Jesus or war. I don't know, for some reason that's cool with people. And, and some of the practices that they had here were severe, and they were real sacrifices. What does it say there? It says the, the severity to their bodies. So some of these were, were big sacrifices. They were, they were serious things that they did. But what does Paul say? Even so, they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They weren't resulting in real victory over the flesh, over their sinful nature, and becoming more like God. Why? Because the main problem is we can't overcome the flesh. We can't. Our willpower, what we've got going for us, it can't do it. So willpower alone, behavior modification alone, the New Year's Eve, the New Year's Day uh, uh, mindset, that resolution setting mindset of I'm going to do better, therefore I'm going to be better, it doesn't work. I can't just turn off my lust. I can't just reject my pride and my ego because I try real hard. I don't want it, so I'm just not going to be egotistical. It doesn't happen that way. We are powerless. But the good news is, the Holy Spirit isn't. And the Holy Spirit can overcome the flesh and make us more like Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
So this process of being made more like God, of mortifying sin and, and becoming more like God, this is a Holy Spirit process. This is his deal. He does it. It's not something we can do. It's not something I can just will up in myself. And so if we want real life change, then we need to recognize that the main agent in our sanctification, the main agent in mortifying sin and making us more like God is not us, and it's not your willpower and and how much you can white knuckle it. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's by His strength. And so if it's his process that he's doing in us, then what we need to figure out is not how, how do I sanctify myself? Because there is no me sanctifying myself. What I need to figure out is if it's his process, how do I participate it in the way he wants me to, right? In the same way, that's what you need to figure out. If it's his process, how do you participate in that process in the way he wants you to? I think about it, the, the picture that, that, that helps me understand this is, um, anybody in here, like, like if I have a car issue, I'll pop the hood. I don't know why, but I'll pop the hood and like, I'll look at it and I'm like, yep, that's an engine. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but I have a friend of mine who does. And when he looks at it, it makes sense in his head and it's not just a jumble of metal and, and, and like things that I don't do, like change my oil. And so I like, he looks at it and it makes sense. And so recently I had a, I had this weird sound I thought was coming from my engine, and so I brought it over, and he was like, well, what's it sound like? And I was like, in technical terms, like a baseball card in the spokes of a, of a bicycle. That's what it sounds like. So I think I got a wiggle waggle where I shouldn't, and so if you take a look at it, and so I'm in his world. My car's not going to get fixed by my understanding or by my strength or any of that because I don't know what I'm doing. So I bring it to his house, and, and so he starts working on it, and so I help. And it, it's so, oh, and I'm so glad he doesn't say it. He could be very ungracious and be like, you want to help me? Because I feel like a little kid, you know, like when your kids come up, they're like two or three, and they want to help you cook, you know, and you give them an empty bowl and you put some rice in it, and you're like, do that. That'll help mom. You know, like that's how I feel like, because I'm, I'm helping. Like I'm not, but he lets me participate. But I have to figure out, this is his process. This isn't going to get fixed by me. So I need to figure out how, how does he want me to help? So he said, you know what? I need you to go to, to crank the car. I know how to do that. And so I'll do that. And he's like, can you, can you rev the engine? I can two for two. And so I do whatever he says. And when he says, turn it off, I turn it off. Get out of the way, I get out of the way. Hold this, I can hold that. I'll do whatever. It's his process and I'm just following in it, right? In the same way, sanctification is not our process. It's something the Holy Spirit is doing and we need to figure out I want to be more like you, God. I want the sanctification process to work. I want my sin to be dead, and I want to, to, my life to be nothing but for you. So I need to figure out, how do I participate in that process? So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, is this lifelong process that the Holy Spirit's in charge of, um, and, and how, we can, how we can be more like Jesus. How do we participate? So this series we're looking at this week, and, and probably the next few, is called The New You, because that's what God is doing in us. He's making us a new person. And what we're looking at today, our focus today, uh, about sanctification, or this process again that the Holy Spirit's taking us through to make us more like God, uh, is that uh, um, 
It doesn't start, I want you to see that it doesn't start with behavior modification, like, like all New Year's resolutions does. It doesn't start with you, I'm going to make this change, and then I'm going to be more like God. Instead, it starts with a new mindset, and that's where we're starting today. It starts, doesn't start with a behavior change, it starts with a new mindset. So the title of today's sermon is Set Your Mind, Set Your Mind. Look there in Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to look at the first four verses today. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The verse we're going to start with that builds, we're going to build everything else around is right there in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Well, to figure out what this means, we probably need to figure out what does it mean to set your mind on anything? And, and I think the best way to, to, to talk about it is to illustrate it. And let me illustrate it with a, I've got a good example. Let me give you a goofy example first. In 2001, um, I, went to, uh, I went to a winter camp with Bellevue. Uh, I was a senior in high school, and uh, we, we went to Gatlinburg. And I got on the bus, and in the back of the bus, there was this girl. And it was just like, <gasps> right? Like I heard music, and it, sure, the radio was on, but I heard other music. And uh, I, I just saw her, and I was like, that, I want that one. And uh, her name was Angela Morella. That was her name. And uh, now it's Nixon. I got her. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> that week, I set my mind on that girl, right? And, and, and what I mean is that everything about that week then became about how can I spend time with her? How can I fool her into thinking I'm better looking than I am? Like, what do I need to do? So, I mean, I'm not joking. When I would, like, go get dressed that day, I, I mean, I would take a little bit extra long. I'd be like, nah, you look. You still, you look too terrible. And then I come out and be like, you don't look that terrible. Like I would, I would, it was all about what's Angela gonna think? You know, like, do I need to, are my braces polished enough? Like, how can I, how can I be, you know, like, where does she wanna eat? This is no joke. The first time we did get away and we went and ate by ourselves, you wanna know where Casanova took her? Where you take royalty, the Burger King. And it was, <laughs> it was just, it was just magic. I don't know what to say. It was just magic. But anyway, it, like, my mind was set on her, right? So, so everything filtered through that mindset. Now, that's a goofy example. Let me good, give you a good example. An athlete in training. Somebody training for uh, the Olympics or something or some sort of competition. Their identity is, is, is all about their mindset. I am an athlete. That's what they're thinking about. They have a singular goal. I want to be in tip-top shape to perform my best at whatever competition it is. And so everything is filtered through that goal, through that mindset. What they eat, when they sit down to eat, they think about their goal and it's filtered through. Should I eat this or should I not? Their, their choices, how they spend their time, the rest that they're going to get, all of that. It defines their days. It takes precedence in their thoughts. It can't help but be in their conversations. Their mindset is everything. And the athlete may seem extreme, and you say, I don't know what that looks like in my real life. But we all do this. We all set our minds on something. You think about it. Some people set their minds mainly on parenting. And so their identity, I am a parent. They have a singular goal, keep my kids alive. And that's pretty much what you do for the first few years. They're constantly trying to kill themselves in really weird ways. And you're constantly just trying to stop. No, don't do that. And so... 
But your goal is, I'm going to, whatever's best for my kids. And so everything in your life is filtered through that goal. Some people set their minds on their careers mainly. And so it defines their day. It dominates their time. It takes precedence in their thoughts. They're constantly thinking about their careers and their work and how they're going to move up and whatever that is. And it can't help but work its way into their conversations. Some people set their minds on just making themselves happy. They have a singular goal. Everything serves my happiness. So their decision on whether I'm going to do this or not, is it going to make me happy? No, I'm not going to do it. Everything is about that. We all do that. I think setting your mind means being single-minded. And to define single-minded, a single-minded means having one driving purpose or resolve. And I've heard single-minded used in a negative way. And maybe you think of it in a negative way. Maybe when you think of, you hear single-minded, you think of uh, someone describing somebody being stubborn. You know, because they, they, they don't bend even in, in light of good reason to do so. Or, or maybe you think of single-minded and you think of uh, someone who's domineering because they demand everyone uh, do things their way. Or when you hear single-minded, you think of describing someone who's disconnected from the world because they can't see the world around them because they're so focused on whatever that thing is, but I don't think that's an accurate description of single-mindedness. In fact, let me give you some synonyms for single-mindedness that I think will help us understand it better. Focused, determined, committed, purposeful, devoted, dedicated, uncompromising, persistent, wholehearted. These sound like good descriptors for a follower of Jesus. Doesn't it sound like maybe single-minded is something we should be? Think about it. If you described, if someone described you as you followed after Jesus, man, they were focused. They were determined. They were committed. They were purposeful, devoted, dedicated, uncompromising, persistent, wholehearted. That sounds pretty good. So we should be single-minded and focused. On what? What's the scripture say? The things above and not the things of the earth. What does it mean to set your minds on the things above and not the things of the earth? It means to be single-minded and focused on God's kingdom and not this kingdom we live in. Or to be single-minded or focused on God's way of doing things and not on everybody else's way of doing things. Look at Matthew 6.33. Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God's words translation, uh, as as the translation puts it this way, But first... Be concerned about his kingdom and what has his approval. Then all these things will be provided for you. So be focused on God's way of doing things. Using that example of the athlete again. Remember they're single-mindedly focused on, 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 on their, their goal and, and being an athlete there. So that's their identity. That's their goal. Everything's filtered through that. When I'm singularly focused on God's kingdom, I allow it to define everything in my life. Right, My identity... I'm I'm a servant of God. I have a singular goal, and that's to make him happy. And so everything else is filtered through that. The way I treat people, the way I suffer, the way I celebrate, the way I spend my money, the way I entertain myself, the way I speak, I work, or even how I parent. All of that is filtered through that one goal of pleasing him. It defines my day. I want to make him happy in everything that I do. It takes precedence in my thoughts. I not only talk to him constantly, but I filter my thoughts through that, that, that same filter. Does this please my master? It can't help but be in my conversations. I talk about him because he's a real part of my life. He's my focus. So set your minds on the things above or set your mind, be focused on God's way of doing things. And how do we do that? And that's a worthy question because it's unnatural to be focused on what God wants. 
right? We live in this world, this natural world, and we've, we've lived this way our whole lives, and the whole world is telling us to, to please ourselves and to focus on ourselves, and so we do, and that's natural. So how do we begin to be single-minded towards God's way of doing things? And I think we have to think differently. And I want to show you in the time we have remaining, I want to show you three ways to think differently that will aid you in setting your mind on God's way of doing things. Number one, think like a new creation. Look there in Colossians 3, look at verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If then you've been raised with Christ. What does that mean, raised? I'm not dead. What does that that mean, raised with Christ? Well, back up. You're still there in Colossians? Back up to chapter 2. Look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. What's, what's Paul describing? What's he talking about here? He's talking about we have a new life now in Christ as we follow him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts that new life this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation in Jesus. Some translations might say creature. Does anybody say that? You're a new creature in Jesus. And it makes me think of animals. I can't get over it. I know it's not the best analogy in the world, but that's where my brain goes. It makes me think of animals. Now imagine, imagine you are a completely new animal. You're a new creature. And, And I was trying to think what like what kind of creature could you turn into another one that would be just so different and, and just such a stark difference? And so my brain went to cartoons. And so imagine if I took a, a woodpecker, maybe his name was Woody, I don't know. But if I took a woodpecker and I turned him into a lion, maybe let's call him Simba. I don't know where I get these names. But if I, if I took that woodpecker, turned him into a lion, everything's changed, right? The lion can't live like a woodpecker anymore. It can't fly. It could try once, right? Like it wouldn't work. A woodpecker, a woodpecker eats bugs. A lion can't do that. A lion can't, can't live on bugs. I don't care. The Lion King lied to you. I know that he grew up eating bugs. That's, it's a cartoon and they don't, they don't sing and dance. I'm telling you. Anyway, it can't eat bugs. A lion can't knock its face against a tree successfully very long, right? Like a woodpecker can. And to try to live like it used to be, for a lion to try to live like a woodpecker, it's silly. It's, it's goofy. And not only is it goofy, it's even more dangerous. It's harmful. It's harmful to try to live like that. And you are a new creation in Jesus. The old way of thinking and behaving and the old values you had and the ambitions you had before him, they're silly, in light of who you are now. And not only that, they're harmful in light of who you are now. The old way of thinking about yourself first, it doesn't work now for Jesus' followers. The old way of holding a grudge, it doesn't work anymore as you try to follow Jesus. The old ambitions that you have that don't please God, they don't work for you anymore. The old values you held that don't line up with God's values, they don't work for you anymore because you're new. You're brand new. It's a new way to live. So you're a new creation. The second thing, a new creation has new desires. Think about it. The lion now has new desires to live. A lion eats meat. It doesn't eat bugs. And that lion needs to follow those new desires. Otherwise, that lion will die, right? You're a new creation. Your desires should change. There in verse 1, seek the things that are above. Your desires should be for godly things now. Your desires should be to change. Think about when you first came to faith. When you first, like when the Lord first opened your eyes and you saw him for who he was and you saw you for who you were. In that moment, was there anything you wanted more than him? 
Did, in that moment, did you want the old? Did you want the old way? No. You saw the new way. You saw it for what it was, and you grabbed it. And you said, God, I want that. I don't want this. And, and a new creation has new desires. A new creation desires godliness. A new creation says, I don't want my old life anymore. I want this new life that you have for me. And so just like a lion should feed his desires, you should feed those desires to know God better. Or you won't be able to live this new life. You'll be emaciated. You'll starve to death as you try to follow God without fulfilling those desires. And not only does the new creation have new desires, the new creation has a new master. Look at the scripture. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He is in a place of ultimate honor and ultimate authority. I don't know much about woodpeckers other than what I've watched in cartoons. Um, And so I'm an expert. But um, in that, I don't know if there's a hierarchy among woodpeckers. I don't know if there's one who's the top of the heap, as it were. I have no idea. But I do know that in prides, where there are more than one male, uh, then there is a hierarchy. There is someone in charge. There is someone in charge of the pride. And so whether that woodpecker that turned into a lion magically through my talking, whether it had a hierarchy, it does now, and it has a leader now, it has a new master. And a new creation, like you and I are, we have a new master now. We have an old master. Sin used to be our master. That's what Romans 6 says. It says we were all slaves to sin. That was our old master. We did what it told us to do. We, we served it completely. But now, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this. You are not your own, for you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We have a new master. And now we live to please. And, and, it's, and we don't live to please our old master. We don't live to please us. We live to please Jesus, our new master. So that means... He determines our values. He determines our ambitions. He determines our behavior, how we treat other people. He determines what's appropriate and what's not. We submit everything to our master because he calls the shots. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. You're a new creation and you have a new master and that's who we serve. He determines everything for me. So think like a new creation. Think with that new mind. Think about how to please your master not the old way you used to think of pleasing yourself but how do I please my master are my ambitions old or do they line up with what my new master wants is the way I talk to people is that the old way or does this please my new master the way I act at home or the way I act at work is that the old way of doing things or does this please my master think like a new creation that will help you set your mind on the things above the second way to think differently is think like a free man a free man. Verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died. What does that mean? Romans 6, 6-7 verse 11 says this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Skip to verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We were once slaves to sin and there was nothing we could do about it. But I have good news. We have died. If you follow Jesus, you have died. You go home today and someone says, hey, how was church? I got great news. I'm dead. Okay, I don't know what that means, but that's okay. 
we have died. That, that old, the, the sinful nature that was in us, the, the, the nature that followed sin because it couldn't follow anything else, the nature that was a slave to sin because it had no choice is dead. It means that you aren't a slave to sin, but instead you have a new life in Christ and we're free. Look at Romans 6.14. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Sin is no longer your master. You don't have to sin any longer. You aren't at the, the mercies of the enemy any longer. Now, does that mean we are never slaves to sin anymore? Unfortunately, no. Look at Romans 6.16. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Sin is always trying to make us slaves again, but it can't do it now, if we're followers of Jesus, it can't do it now without our help. It's choices we make. We choose to obey sin and therefore make it our master. Why do we do that? Why do we willingly shackle ourselves to our old master? Well, I think when we're not singularly focused on the things above, when we are looking around at, at our world and we're looking around at sin and temptation and we begin to focus on our old master there, we get distracted. And the more we look at him, the more we remember the good times. You know what I'm saying? The further you get away from a memory or an experience, doesn't that usually like filter it? And sometimes you can only remember the good stuff. Like I think about my first job. I worked at a, a, an ice cream place. And uh, when I talk about it now, I talk about it very fondly. But if I'm honest, if I really think about it, it was terrible and I hated it, right? Like think about it. When I was in, when I was in high school, and I know it's hard to believe, when I was in high school, I was this tall, and I weighed 20 pounds less than I weigh right now, all right? You got the picture now? Okay, thank you. Some people just woke up. Yeah. And so I had to get in that tank and, like, get the frozen ice cream out. And I had customers literally say, are you okay? Like, I'm just like, I got it. Shut up. I got it. Here's your spoonful, sir. This is all we've got today. The rest of it is ice. And it was the worst. It was the worst. I hated the smell of it. There, and, and as I think about it, I only remember like, man, that was so, it was so much fun. I made friends. And it was, it was terrible. And I hated the hours. And it was just, the, the customers were terrible. They're just, just people are terrible. Can we just agree on that? They're just terrible. And it was just awful. And sin tricks us into thinking about that momentary happiness that it provided at the same time, completely forgetting the shackles that accompanied that momentary happiness, the lasting consequences that accompanied that momentary happiness. But we need to remember sin is a cruel master. Don't ever like forget that. Sin is a cruel master. The scriptures say the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they may have life. So I think we get focused on our old master. We, we aren't single-minded and we get distracted and we start to think that he's better than he actually is. And the more we look at our old master's sin, the more powerful he seems. And we start to think we get, we're so beaten up and we're so weak in the face of temptation and sin. And we, we say to ourselves, I've fallen in this hole over and over and over again. I'll never change. It'll never get better but you are free of sin now it's not true you're free and and it can't have a hold
hold on you unless you give it a hold on yourself. Now, I'm not saying it won't be a fight, but I'm saying now you have a choice to fight. So stop looking at your old master. Instead, look at your powerful and good new master. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this is what our new master does for us in light of our old master. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He's a good master. And he'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So think like a free man. Focus on the good master Jesus and not our old master sin. Focus on the real lasting joy that he brings. And remember that sin holds no power over you any longer unless you let it. So fight it and resist it knowing that our good master will help us fight that fight. The last way to think differently to help set your mind on the things above is to think toward the future. Look at verse 4. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. My wife has taught me into a lot of very bad things, very bad decisions. Um, One of them is running. Anybody run for fun? What's wrong with you? But she tricked me into thinking it would be fun. And so we did a 5K once. And, uh, and not only was it a 5K, she was like, it'll be fun because we'll wear, it's an ugly Christmas sweater, um, 5K, so it'll be funny because we were wearing sweaters, but then we're going to run in sweaters. Like, who runs in sweaters? So I remember we're running, and then I remember having this thought, like, no one's chasing me. I could just stop. Like, this is, okay. like, I'll just stop. I know where we are. We're at Shelby Farms. I know how to get out of here. I'll see you later, right? Like, I could just leave. But I, I kept running, and two things kept me running. One, fear of my wife, which is a good thing. Two was the finish line. I kept thinking, this isn't going to last forever. It's just a 5K, all right? There is, there is a finish line, and at that finish line is free food, and it'll be wonderful, right? We will get there, and I will take off this sweater, and people will celebrate with me, and, uh, and, and, and I will eat this food that I will pay nothing for, and it will be absolutely wonderful, and I'll never do this again. But the finish line was my motivator, and isn't that a great motivator? I had a friend of mine in college who, from a little kid, decided he wanted to be a doctor, and he was dead set on it. I'm going to be a doctor, but he knew that that was going to require a lot of sacrifices. So there were many nights where we're out doing very dumb things because that's what college kids do and I would like go find him like Chris what do you want to come do dumb stuff with us and he's like no I'm gonna stay in and study and I was like why but what but you know what his deal was he had that that finish line in mind one day yes it's years away at this point but one day if I keep working hard I will see this goal I will be a doctor I will have what I want and so he made sacrifices for years and what kept him going the finish line and as we serve our master remember what's waiting for us at the finish line don't be distracted by everything else that would that that would that would shine and try to get your attention and say hey I'm worth it this temptation's worth it no 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 forget all of that everything pales in comparison to what's waiting for us at the finish line and what's our finish line when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory we'll be with him and we'll be fully changed and we'll experience him completely there'll be nothing between us and him holding us back our joy will be overflowing in a way that we can't even describe or wrap our heads around here there's nothing in the meantime that can distract me and say hey I'm worth it 
hey, I'm my, this sin, this temptation, it's worth it. It's going to be really fun. There's nothing, there's nothing that holds a candle to the finish line that's waiting for me. So think about the finish line. Think about what's waiting for us. Think about what waits for us in earthly ambitions. You have a great job? Fantastic. What's going to happen? You're going to get fired? You're going to retire? You're going to die? Awesome. What's happened to it? That finish line didn't work out. Think about being a parent. I'm going to be a great parent. I was at prayer meeting this Tuesday. No joke. There's this lady I was praying with. I love praying with her. Literally, I t- I, I'm, I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, we're all going to work for this lady. She's an incredible lady. And so we're talking about our kids, and she said, just, just completely dead serious, just enjoy it, because one day, they leave. And I was like, oh, what? Why would you tell why would you tell me that? I was struggling with my kids going, like, Max is going to go to pre-K. And I was, like, really, like, upset about it. And I was like, I don't know. He's just so old or whatever. And she's like, just enjoy it now because they're going to leave you. And I'm like, why is that? That's not encouraging. Let's just pray. I don't want to, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. But, but that's the end. What happens to your kids? They move on. And they have families. And then their kids have families. And it all moves on. And, and they move on from there. Maybe if it's just make yourself happy. Maybe that's your, where's your finish line there? You're going to die and answer to God. There you go. That's your finish line. Did you do it? Was it worth it? But think about serving our master and think about the finish line waiting for him. And as you strive to serve him in your job, remember that you'll be with him and your work won't be forgotten by him. As you suffer, remember that he doesn't waste your suffering and you'll be rewarded when you're with him again. As you resist temptation, remember that you'll be with him and your striving will be rewarded. As you struggle to do the right thing, remember that you struggle will end one day and you'll be rewarded by being with him forever and forever at rest so think about the finish line let that motivate you and don't be don't and and, and let everything else pale in comparison to what's waiting for you so how do we start living as this new you we set our minds on the things above be single-mindedly focused on God's way of doing things and how do we do that we think differently think like a new creation you have a new life and you have a new master how do you live this new life to please him think like a free man sin isn't your master anymore don't let it be again don't let it uh, gain that mastery over you anymore think toward the future look at our finish line there isn't a better one stay focused on it let me pray for us Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are doing a work in us to, to, to mortify our sin, to kill our sin, and to make us more like you. Thank you so much for doing that work. It's a work we can't do. It's a work you must do. Help us figure out how to participate in that work with you. To not frustrate that work, but to participate in that work. Help us, Lord, this week, maybe in a way we've never had before, to set our minds on the things above. To set our minds on pleasing our master. Not pleasing ourselves or anybody else, but I'm going to please my master. To set our minds to know that we're free in you. Sin has no dominion over me. It has no control over me any longer. You've given me victory over that. So Lord, I can fight. I don't have to be defeated. I can fight and I can experience victory here and now because of you. May I set my mind on on the things above. May I look towards the finish line and when sin and temptation would look sparkly and try to grab my attention and pull me aside and say, yeah, this is worth it, this is good, I would have my mind set on that goal of being with you in your glory and I would say nothing. Nothing comes close to this. No, 
No, I won't sacrifice my finish line for this momentary pleasure. No, I won't sacrifice that finish line of unlimited joy for this momentary happiness. No, I'm going after that finish line. Help us set our minds this week. Lord, my brothers and sisters in this room, I'm sure are just like me. And Lord, this week could have been turbulent. It could have been difficult. And so this morning uh, might be the first time in several days they've stopped and they focused on you. So Lord, as we sing, do a work in them to help focus them on the things above that do a lasting work so that when they walk out of here, when they go to lunch or wherever they're going, they would still be focused on you. And Lord, there might be people in here who they don't know you. They know about you, but Lord, they haven't set their minds on you. They haven't haven't given you their lives. They don't live to make you happy. They live to make themselves happy. And the truth is, like they're still in their sin. The truth is, they're separated from you right now. They don't have a relationship with you. And if they were to die right now, they'd be separated from you forever in hell and judgment. Lord, maybe those people in this room, you brought them here today to bring them back to you. And Lord, maybe today there are people in this room who need to ask for your forgiveness and ask you to come into their life. They need to start following you today. So Lord, whatever it is, I pray that you would begin to do your work in us. We love you. This is your time. Use it for your fame. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.